Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm John McEnroe. I'm Bjorn Borg. This is Martina Navratilova. I'm Mats Wilander. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. And you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, hello and welcome to The Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph and with Eurosport on the day that Rafael Nadal reached the US Open final and will now face Kevin Anderson. We've just come out of the commentary box for BBC Radio 5 Live. Myself and Jeff Tarango, former top 50 player. Hello, Jeff. How are we? We're, we're pretty good. And Simon Briggs is here as well from The Telegraph. Um, Simon, that was an interesting match between Del Potro and Nadal. It, it looked like it was going to be a classic for a while that first set was blistering from Del Potro wasn't it I mean some of the forehands I know we talk about the forehand a lot but I mean it was it was breathtaking and he backed it up with backhands as well but Nadal mm-hmm. turned it around yeah I mean Del Potro said yesterday uh, or maybe it was the night before he said uh, I just wish I could play Rafa when I was in good condition and you don't never know how much to read into that you never know how much those guys are uh, sort of indulging in kidology but I think that that really is kind of the epitaph of this match I didn't feel like when Rafa turned up the heat that that, that Delpo had it in his legs to live with him I mean Rafa explained quite precisely what he'd done tactically between set one and set two which is to stop hitting to the backhand all the time and use the forehand up the line which he hit with absolute precision and power and pace just seemed to feel it so much and once that started it was pretty much one-way traffic so yeah sets two three and four weren't classics they were they were exhibition stuff from Rafa I mean in, in the sense of being magnificent display of tennis but they weren't competitive what was your reading on it Jeff how much of that comeback was down to Nadal how much was it down to Del Potro not having so much left in his legs well, I think it was the man from Mallorca taking the bull by the horns. I mean, he was getting beaten by the stronger player, the bigger man, and he knew that he watched Federer bang his head against the wall again two nights ago and lose the match. He knew he had to adapt, that he didn't want to be as stubborn as Roger was, and that he would lose if he kept that up. He started moving Del Pull around, and he just took the wind out of his sails. He couldn't keep up with that kind of pace any longer the sprint was too much for Delpo it forced him to go for low percentage shots when he didn't want to and then from there once 
Nadal really had a firm grip on the Del Po horns, he wasn't going to let go. I mean, no. we know him. When he gets that bite, he's like a pit bull, isn't he? he? He is indeed. And that pit bull is currently in the ESPN studios to our right as we stand here just outside the Arthrash Stadium. He's uh, he's come out. There's a huge crowd of people flocking to see him. And he, he only has to raise one of those eyebrows that he likes to raise in their direction. And uh, they are screaming his name. Um there's something about Del Potro, isn't there, though, that, that does discomfort these very top players when he's on? Because we saw that with Federer the other night, didn't we? He was, he was rattled by him. Yeah, but as Jeff said, I mean, Rafa solved the equation in a way that Roger didn't. And, and actually, Roger explained quite perfectly why he hadn't solved the equation when he spoke after that match. Because he said, look, I, I haven't had it all week. I've been struggling physically, mentally, technique-wise. I couldn't get my head clear. You know, I was just in a bit of a fog out there. So uh, if, if Rafa had been in top nick, he probably would have worked out a way of... of, of he's a bit of an un- unusual player, isn't he? Because he's so biased towards the heavy forehand, and yet the backhand's very solid. So you can't just hit with backhand and get errors. He doesn't miss. He just puts it back. And actually, you can wear yourself out on it. It's almost like you can you can sort of... You, you can be you can banging like a, like a, a boat on the on the rocks just just without doing too, anything too adventurous. So you have to work out how to manoeuvre him around. But I think Delpo, if he'd had a bit more in his legs, he would have he would also have had more answers. It would have been a more competitive fight tonight. You, you always we always joke about what you would have done if you'd played Nadal back in the day, Jeff. And how on earth would you try to get to him? You always sort of talk about how you'd, you'd try and unsettle him just by annoying him in some way. Because once he's on a roll, he's pretty unstoppable, isn't he? But sometimes the confidence can be a little fragile. Tonight, he, he, he found the confidence and he was unstoppable. Yeah, I mean, Delpo had the crowd with him in the beginning, and I think he should probably, when he won that set, should have engaged them a lot more, maybe even done a victory dance and put his arms up and got them in the beginning of that second set, got the crowd to be so boisterous that it unsettled Nadal and made him go back after in the middle of tosses and whatnot. He really needed to engage the crowd a lot more. He kind of put his head down like, I've done enough. And it, it kind of it went it flowed into Nadal. Nadal saw that, and like you said on the broadcast, he was like a shark in, in bloody water. He just wasn't gonna let go and stop going after it. And you know it, we see that we saw it with with Venus too. You know, just these top players, they can get so stubborn, and what makes them so great, but it can also be their weakness. And so I would more play into that stubbornness if I was trying to beat him. And, you know, we'll see if Anderson has the fight and the, and the, the, the willpower to, to do stuff. But you have to have the crowd involved in it. It has to be more chaotic. There has to be more going on. There should have been more when he was challenging calls. It should have t- gone all the way up to the chair and talked to the chair for a little bit. He maybe could have tripped over Nadal's water. Accidentally. You know, accidentally when he wasn't looking. You know, and you know, there's just some little things that he could have done if he really wanted that match as badly as you know he said he did. But he's the gentle giant. He's the nice guy. He doesn't want to be known as that. And he's won this tournament before, so it's not like the last thing in the world he has to do. You know, he's part of Team Eight. He's going to be doing exhibitions for a million dollars a night for the rest of his life. I mean, he doesn't need to resort to what I need to resort to. <laughs> trying with the with the truth here on the tennis podcast. Uh, Simon, Kevin Anderson 
has basically reinvented himself, hasn't he? Because not only is he into the final, I mean, I, I don't think I've ever seen anybody go from quiet, demure, sort of, you know, polite tennis player who really looks a bit embarrassed to celebrate winning shots to somebody who's fist-pumping like Jimmy Connors after every single successful point. I, I read a fascinating piece in the New York Times today about how he was, he, he'd been told by his coach to actually practice fist pumping on the practice court and 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 he's well it seems to be paying off yeah, did you ever try that jeff <laughs> well, i invented it no i'm kidding <laughs> but no but i i think also another interview that i heard david that i thought was very impactful is when kevin anderson was off with his injury that he realized when he was talking to sports psychologists and whatnot that he'd never had a tennis hero you know being from south africa there were some great players creek and ferreira but he never really had a tennis hero and he latched on to rafael nadal and said he is going to be my tennis hero and he actually said if i could have 25 percent as much fire on the court as rafael nadal does i can be a grand slam champion and now look at him going crazy after every point i love it i think it's great but he's in the finals of a slam after this one adjustment in his attitude from going from a choker who loses to Burditch, what, 120 times in the round of 16 of slams to all of a sudden being in a Grand Slam final. It's fantastic. We're going to get a lot of fist pumping in this final, aren't we? I love that, though, that he, he's decided he idolizes uh, Rafa Nadal, and, and the, the piece was, was pointing that out and, and saying that, that, you know, He's not a naturally demonstrative guy. He's not a natural performer on a stage as such. And yet he does like playing music. And, and they were trying to get in his head. It's, it's interesting, isn't it, how you a know, big guy like that, six foot eight, he's got all the sort of raw materials with the game, the power and all the rest of it. But it seems to be the mind that is making the difference. Yeah, I think there was a nice quote from Neville Goldwyn, wasn't there, saying that there's a big man syndrome which... It's the opposite of little man syndrome. If you're a little man, you make a lot of noise to make sure people know you're there. If you're a big man, unless you really are a kind of sociopath who, who wants to bully people, which he clearly isn't, then you, you almost shrink a little bit. You, you stoop a little bit. Well, I guess, David, I should be asking you this question. No, I, 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 can, re- I can relate to it in a way, yeah. You, I, mean, I assume the listeners do know that you're six foot eight. Yeah, well, I, th- I think I've, it's probably got across over the years, yes. Um, no, I, it, it's interesting. It depends what the scenario is, I would say, because I would say when I'm in a role where I've got to interview a, a big star and I don't want to feel as though I'm kind of uh, a little nervous about it, I will stand up taller and I will almost sort of try to be especially if it's a big tennis player trying to be as big as them it's just that natural kind of almost fool yourself into feeling confident and yet if it's you had a good relationship with Goran I think because of that I mean he literally looked up to you yeah well you better watch it watch your step (laughs) is all I can say Uh, but no I mean and and I would definitely say that in other situations if it's a young tennis player up and coming and they might be a little nervous or something like that I might go the other way sit down and and sort of not want to try to be in any way scary 
Yeah, and I think as a big man also going through college tennis, he had a great education, Anderson. And, you know, a lot of those political correctness things come through when you're in that college environment. And maybe he just didn't want to seem like a cocky, brash person that's going to be getting in trouble and in fights and all this kind of stuff. And he didn't want to be a rebel rouser because he's from South Africa. He's a foreigner playing in America. And it just kind of translated into him being a little too timid. And... You know, it, it gets worse and worse as time goes on. It doesn't get better, I mean, from the sports psychology side of it, not as a person. I mean, I think what he's going to realize is he's the same person at the end of the day, that his wife still looks at him at the end of the day. But look at his results. He's fired up out there, and it's more entertaining. I mean, I didn't like watching him cower and lose matches that I thought he should win. Now he's stepping up and he's swinging out and he's playing great tennis. Jeff mentions his wife, Kelsey, who's yeah. become quite a quite a personality on the scene herself hasn't she she writes she's written a diary of, of what it's like to sort of support him and she's a seriously impressive yeah. woman you know and uh, who has effectively decided she's going to run kevin anderson incorporated really all the kind of support she's accounting she's you know managing the website the social media what, what and, have you what have you made of it well i mean so, I, she she came out for drinks once with uh, us the, the, the press corps in in paris which not a lot of the other uh, wives and girlfriends do and then i saw her in the mozart house in vienna which uh you know was a sort of i was on a, a bit of a cultural trip and i thought i don't know, I know that person and i kind of ambushed her and, and um, to her credit she was very polite when i said i, I I think we've met before. And uh, we had a nice chat about, you know, the meaning of uh, Mozart's time in Salzburg. So that, that was quite a good chat. Yeah, no, it's, it, she's one of the good good guys, so to speak, on the tennis circuit. Always got time to have a chat with any any of us. She was on the radio with us on BBC Radio. They carry a t- the tiniest little dog around with them that I've ever seen in my life. It sits in her bag. Uh, but anyway, there's yeah, a little... Actually, speaking of which, if it, New York Times has had some good pieces and, and they have one today on uh, dogs on tour. Apparently, because Netsova... Uh, her dog isn't just a pet, it's her emotional reassurance dog. And you can get a certificate for that, and it means that they can come to tournaments where other dogs cannot come. Really? I'll tell you, Catherine Whittaker's not with us today because she's not feeling too well. Uh, and uh, uh, we're going to have to tell her about this because mm. she's going to want a, uh, a, a, what's it called, a reassurance an, dog? An emotional reassurance dog. Apparently you can get a, a doctor's prescription, basically, for it. Sounds awesome. Yeah, so, I want a, one of those. Yeah, it's like, a, you know, a lot of people need dogs that help them around and that that's it's now you can check the box on that one awesome well catherine's been going around just meeting random police dogs uh, and, and having photos to take taken with them so that's uh, that's what she's been doing um so i'm just before you go a a look ahead to the women's final it's it's interesting isn't it because these are two names we've never had before sloan stevens and madison keys in a grand slam final yeah, and I think I wrote the piece, you know, looking forward to it today. The most fun bits were them both talking about each other, talking about their relationship, talking about how they've texted each other nonstop all the year because they both had injuries early on. They've kind of been through the trauma together and they're mates, uh, you know, and, and they've also got their opposites uh, to some extent in the way they play because, you know, one of them's got the speed of foot, one of them's got the speed of shot. Uh, and normally you would expect, I think, that the weight of shot in that battle is the better asset to have in the final, but who knows? It's going to be interesting. Simon Briggs from The Telegraph here with us. Let's just have a few more words with Jeff Tarango, shall we, about this uh, women's final. So it's a big day for American tennis, isn't it, this? Because it's the first time that a, an all-American final has not featured the Williams sisters since 2002, I think it is. Um, 
And these are two players that we've been waiting to come along for a while. And actually, there were question marks over the last two years about whether they would at all. Yeah, they've both come back from some injuries and, and some time out. And they're both, I thought, very funny. You say they're very different players. But they both, in their post-match conferences after the semifinals, said, I have no idea how I got here. I have no words for this. Well, they've been through a lot, both of them, haven't they? <laughs> yeah, but but it was interesting that they both said the same thing. And I think that, you know, Kathy Rinaldi and Martin Blackman have really put good teams around these young American women. And they're late bloomers. I mean, it's official. Uh, and Madison Keys, I can understand, because she's a taller, bigger player. And it takes taller, bigger players longer to learn the game of tennis for a big person and she went back you know to the Lansdorpian Robert Lansdorpian kind of mentality of hitting the ball hard and low but being consistent and I think Lindsay Davenport has done a great job in instilling that to her but it really came down to her saying okay enough of this I'm going to do something someday and let's just do it where on Sloan Stevens she sat around watching for 11 months someone else play tennis she tried broadcasting. That, that was a big deal she, for her, wasn't she, it? she watched other she tried broadcasting she tries going to school she's tried a bunch of other things going to baby showers and weddings and uh dating and all this stuff that she thought she was missing out on because she's been such a dedicated player all these years and she realized that she wasn't missing that much and that she wanted at the end of the day she went from a player who makes 60 errors a match to a player who loves tennis and is dying to be out there and is dying to win. And that difference for her, because she's such an amazing talent, is what has done it. I mean, she's the fastest player on tour, and now that she's not making those errors, she's just a completely different player. Did you come across players in your generation? Because you were around when there was Sampras and there was Agassi and Courier and all these guys, Chang. Did you come across many players that were maybe slightly taking it for granted and it wasn't until they didn't have it for a while that that they realized actually this is pretty good and I want to make the most of it. Yeah, well I think Andre was obviously the prime example of that. You know, he just had so many ups and downs because of his attitude and you know it, the things that he would do off court. But then you know the player that I grabbed on to after I retired was Eunice Elinawi. You know, I thought that he spent his most of his career between 40 and 70 and that he had a hundred times more talent than that and he wasn't using it and it only took you know a two or three weeks of tweaking his game for him to realize how much better he was than his results you know there's other guys out there let's say Medvedev just a behemoth of a player great player but he would only turn it on like one match one week one tournament out of a month and and you know, it, it bothers me. I think Query is kind of a player like that now where he's just starting to play great consistently, but he's always had the talent to. He could have been doing it since he was 20 years old. And, yeah, there, there's a lot of those guys out there where you know they had a good week last week, and so you know they're not going to have a good week for, like, the next two or three weeks because they're just happy that their ranking's going to stay where it is, and they're just complacent. And, you know, if you can find those kind of talents and harness, you know, their energy and, and kind of redirect their mentality, sky's the limit. I think that's what we're seeing with Kevin Anderson a little bit, just a complete redirection in his mental energy. So Simon reckons that for him on paper, the bigger hitter is Keys, and that that may well also ultimately be the deciding factor. What do you think? 
I think that it, a little bit like Rafa said today, Venus Williams came into that backhand too much. Sloan's improved her backhand defense more than any shot, and she was ready to make those passage shots, and that's what beat Venus. She wasn't willing to go to the forehand in the big moments. Sloan's forehand is just as hard as Madison Key's forehand, and it might be more consistent. Madison has ups and downs, although she didn't in the semifinals. I think it's a completely even match going in. I don't think that there's any advantage either way because they both have their own talents. Keys has a little bit more experience in these big matches, but not in a Grand Slam final. You know, God doesn't decide the Grand Slam final. The players do. So you have to bet your final hot dog on the winner of this match. Oh, you know I'm not good at these semis and final predictions. But I I think we're going to get Sloan Stevens to have the greatest jump in the rankings in the history of tennis. You're picking Stevens to win the title? Yes. Jeff Taranga, fascinating. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking. And I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. A few other little notes ahead of uh, our final couple of tennis podcasts here with The Telegraph and with Eurosport. Today we had Jamie Murray and Martina Hingis going through to the mixed doubles final. They beat Coco Vandewey and Horia Takao, 6-4-7-6. Very closely fought second set, that one. And Hingis, well, she has been on fire. She's also in the uh, the women's doubles final as well. And the mixed doubles final with Jamie Murray. Well, that's what I just said. Yeah. Yeah. So well, say it again. All right. Well, she's in the mixed doubles final with Jamie Murray. Yeah. I uh, mean, is that even fair? <laughs> how good? I mean, you, you, you played some doubles. How, yeah. how good is? Hing- I mean, Hingis is. You know, she's she's pushing. What? What is it? Mid thirties, nearly forty. 
She's almost better than Bruno Suarez, who Murray plays with in the men's double. <laughs> she's really good, isn't she? <laughs> yeah, she's playing great. She's inspired. I think she's great for the game. It's great. She's just she's got that smile on her face all the time, and the control that she has over the ball is amazing. Shows how hard it is to give up tennis, doesn't it? Because she's retired a couple of times, <laughs> and she played legends at Wimbledon one year. Yeah, and I remember she had to go at broadcasting. You know, it's not an easy game to give up, is it? Well, no, I think it's just always with you. It's a, That's why they call it the sport of a lifetime. And, you know, Hingis is a prime example of that. And, you know, she could play doubles with almost anybody and win it. And she could play mixed with almost anybody and win it. But she's just out here because she really loves it. Yep, she is indeed. Uh, also, in... A little, another bit of new doubles news. Uh, the men's doubles champions are Jean-Julien Roger and Horia Tecao beating uh, Mark and Feliciano Lopez. Um, and a little bit of a political statement made by Jean-Julien Roger in the uh, aftermatch ceremony. He wore a, a T-shirt which had the Statue of Liberty on it. And uh, he, he said he was doing that to voice his objection to the recent events in Charlottesville. Um, which is rare, but that created a, a few waves, and uh, and you know I thought it was, a, well, I, I was pretty impressed by it personally. Um, that's what's happened today. We will be back with more tennis podcasts over the next two days. Women's final day tomorrow, men's finals day on Sunday. All of this stuff will be live on Eurosport, of course. Hopefully, Catherine Whitaker is back with us over the weekend. Get well soon, Catherine, if you're listening. Uh, we will also be back with uh, live commentary on BBC Radio 5 Live Sports Extra. In fact, no, 5 Live, the main station uh, for the women's final, which will be at uh, 4 o'clock local time, 9pm UK. Uh, we will then be back for the men's final at a similar sort of time on Sunday. So, thanks for your company, and particularly you, Jeff Taranga. Ciao. It's always a pleasure. It is. And we will speak to you all listening to this tennis podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph and with Eurosport, as Jeff Taranga cracks open a beer very soon. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com.